Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Start a journey, not a fad. Kick off your fitness journey with up to $500 off Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, or Tread packages. Choose the package that will take your training to the next level with accessories like our cycling shoes, heart rate band, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tread Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. From Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network, you're listening to the Sports Stove Podcast with your host, Vince Stover. Here's what's cooking on today's Sports Stove Podcast. We are covering the NFL Super Wild Card Weekend, and then we are joined by Aaron Torres of Fox Sports, KSR, and the Aaron Torres Podcast to talk Kentucky basketball and college basketball as a whole. That's what's cooking on today's Sports Stove Podcast. It is time to turn on the Sports Stove. Welcome into today's Sports Stove Podcast. We're going to start off before we get to Aaron Torres talking about the Super Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. A lot going on this weekend. Three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday. For the first year ever, we have seven teams in the AFC and seven teams in the NFC in the playoffs. And so here we sit. First game kickoff 105 on Saturday afternoon is the Buffalo Bills and the Indianapolis Colts. Buffalo is a current six point favorite. That number has dropped uh, slightly. And uh, this is a, a big game for Buffalo. Buffalo is one of the, the better teams in the NFL this year. Josh Allen is a legit MVP candidate. And they have a good offense and a good defense. Stephon Diggs has been a great addition to this team. And Buffalo seems to be a team that, that could push Kansas City for the Super Bowl spot in the AFC. But they're going to face up against a very tough Indianapolis team. They've got a stellar defense, Indianapolis does. And they've got a great run game with Jonathan Taylor. And Philip Rivers is not too bad for an old man. And that's really where this game comes down to is Philip Rivers. Does he uh, make mistakes or does he play a clean game? And that will determine whether or not Indianapolis 
will have a shot in this game against Buffalo. I think Buffalo wins this game. I wish it was the night game. I wish this was the 8:15 kickoff on NBC, but it's not. So we'll have to settle for it being at 105 on CBS on Saturday, Buffalo and Indianapolis. Then you have the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. They split this season, the Rams winning their first matchup and the Seahawks winning the second matchup. There is some question as whether or not Jared Goff will be able to play. I believe you will from everything that we're seeing at this point. Seattle's a three and a half point favorite uh, being at home. They've had a better season overall, but they have struggled in areas this year as well. And facing up against a solid Rams defense, defense wins championships. That's what we're always told, right? Well, it's true. And the Rams defense has a chance to be a difference maker for this team. But again, it comes down to quarterback Jared Goff. If he plays, and if, if he doesn't play, then then Walford or whatever his name is, if he plays, it has to be a clean game. No interceptions, no turnovers. They have to have a play call that makes sense. Uh, the the stuff, the, the, the checks, the short passes, and then eventually the bombs and to beat them deep. But Jared Allen is a, is a or Jared Allen, Jared Goff is a key player in this game. Being that it's in Seattle, and I trust Russell Wilson more than I trust Jared Goff, I think Seattle wins this game. And in the end, I think they win it convincingly. Then the night game, 8-15, two weeks in a row in primetime, the Washington football team, led by Alex Smith, or so it appears he will be the starting quarterback. And they face off against the ageless wonder Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay is an eight-point favorite, and I think that's too much. This is the game. I was I was a guest on a podcast called No Credentials Required. You can go back and listen to me talk on it. I'm going to contradict myself from what I said on that podcast. I said Tampa Bay wins this game. I am starting to lean towards Washington for the sole purpose of Washington's defense. Defense wins championships. Are you catching a uh, something, a reoccurring topic here? Uh, Tampa Bay has an incredible pass rush. A great defense that can really put pressure on Tom Brady. That's the one thing that is the uh, kryptonite for Tom Brady is pressure. He doesn't move in the pocket. He's not as agile as he once was. He's never been super agile, but he's not as agile as he once was. And so if Washington can pressure the quarterback, and even though they have incredibly talented pass catchers, both at receiver and tied in. I think Washington does what they have to do. And Alex Smith leading the way on offense, he doesn't make mistakes. They've got a good run game in Gibson. I like what the coaching staff has done this year. Give me Washington over Tampa Bay in the nightcap on Saturday. Then on Sunday, one o'clock kickoff, it is the Tennessee Titans hosting the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore comes into this game on the road as a three and a half point favorite over Tennessee. The reason why that is, is because Baltimore has hit their stride here late in the season. They have went back to playing the style of football that they had the most success with last year, and it is working. Lamar Jackson has been very good. They've got a, a three-headed monster, really, at running back. They should uh, dial it down to one, but if he gets hurt or if COVID hits or whatever it is, they've got options there at the running game. They don't have a bad receiving game either. Mark Andrews at tight end is one of the best in the league. Hollywood Brown is doing his thing as well. 
Baltimore and Tennessee. Tennessee's offense, though, has been stellar this year, so much so that all the teams with vacant head coaching positions want to interview Tennessee's offensive coordinator. And so Tennessee's offense has been great. Tannehill has played well. Derrick Henry has been a beast. The question is the defense. Can the Titans' defense stop Baltimore? What have we said? Defense wins championships. Therefore, we're going to Baltimore on this one. We'll go with the line and say Baltimore wins over Tennessee. Then you've got the Saints and the Bears. Somehow, some way, the Bears made it into the playoffs. They backed into the playoffs. Someone else had to help them out to get there, but they're there. The question is now, can Nagy and Trubisky do what they need to do? The Bears have some solid defensive players. Yes, defense wins championships, but the Saints are way better than the Bears. The Saints win this game. They're a 10-point favorite. I suspect they'll win by more than that. Then the nightcap is a really interesting game. Pittsburgh hosting Cleveland. Cleveland finally in the playoffs. They're finally back, and they've got the great talent on their team. Yet COVID has struck Cleveland. They're missing their head coach, several assistant coaches as well. Alex Van Pelt calling plays uh, for Cleveland. The question is, is how will that work against Pittsburgh? Last week, Pittsburgh and Cleveland played. It was a close game, and Steelers were playing with their backups in. So this week, we suspect Pittsburgh will dominate Cleveland. Pittsburgh is a six-point favorite, and Cleveland's offense can score points. So there is the potential that they can keep this one close. But when it's all said and done, the Steelers win this game. So for our picks going into Super Wild Card Weekend, we have Buffalo over Indianapolis, Seattle over L.A., Washington over Tampa, the Ravens over the Titans, the Saints over the Bears, and Pittsburgh rounds it all out over the Cleveland Browns. I'm excited for playoffs to finally be here. Playoff football, we made it to the playoffs. Good job, NFL. I applaud you. Now let's take a quick break and uh, mention our sponsors, Belly Up Sports. BellyUpSports.com. You can go on. You can find articles about fantasy sports, about uh, the NBA, the NHL, uh, all these, the NFL, any kind of sport they're covering there on BellyUpSports.com. We are part of the Belly Up Podcast Network, and so you can find our podcast on BellyUpSports.com as well as several other podcasts like the one I just mentioned earlier, No Credentials Required. Uh, so thankful that they invited me to be a part of their podcast that dropped on Thursday morning. So you can go and search for no credentials required and find that podcast on bellyupsports.com, uh, several other podcasts as well. We're so excited. We've got some new sponsors coming on here, uh, very shortly and, uh, excited to talk about that. And then, uh, next week, uh, we'll be interviewing Harry Hunsucker, uh, MMA fighter. Uh, he was on Dana White's Contender Series this past season, and we'll be talking to him about uh, his quest to get back to the UFC, and uh, and also some of the UFC fights. We'll be covering those that are coming up here in January with uh, Harry Hurricane Hunsucker coming up as well. That's next week, so make sure you tune into that. Now, let's talk college basketball with. Aaron Torres pick he encourages him and he doesn't hold him back um I do think somewhere along the way though it's been a little twisted it's been a little mixed up in that he's paid eight million dollars a year to win basketball games at Kentucky 
And if a byproduct of that is that he makes a lot of people rich in the process, that's even better. And it probably should be, right? Because you're not going to win games if you don't have good players. But the byproduct needs to be winning games. And I don't want to say that, you know, he's gotten away from that because I don't think that he has. I still think he wants to win as much as anybody. But I do think at least publicly – he gives off the perception that he views Kentucky as more of an NBA feeder system than he does a college basketball program that's trying to win college basketball games. And I, by the way, I think you can do both. I think as and I've been more critical of him in the last six weeks than I have been in the last fifteen years. But you know, I, I think you can do both. And I think as critical as I've been, it's easy to forget. They went, you know, they won the SEC last year. I think they went 15 and three in the league. I could be mistaken on that number. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about get this team to the tournament with Emmanuel Quickly and Tyrese Maxey and Nick Richards. They could win a game away from the Final Four. And so, absolutely, you can do both. But I do think the fans that are sitting there saying too much of a priority is getting kids from high school directly to the NBA and not enough is what is going on in their time at Lexington. I think it's a fair criticism. We'll see what happens. You know, we'll see if this team turns it around. But I think it's a fair criticism. And and, and by the way, I'll wrap and I'll toss it back to you by saying I do give him credit. The Vanderbilt game, he did not have the five best long-term NBA prospects on the floor in crunch time. He had the five guys that were playing well and were going to help him win that game. So to a degree, he absolutely deserves credit for that. But I also think in the bigger 30,000-foot view as the guy who just signed a lifetime contract and in theory is going to be there another, you know, maybe six, seven, eight years, it's got to be a balance. It's got to be at least a balance of both. And publicly, you probably would do yourself a few favors if you if you discussed it more in the terms of, winning games at Kentucky rather than just being an NBA feeder system. Yeah, and he's gotten a lot of flack, especially this year with the Dante Allen situation, not playing Dante Allen, and and kind of just that very obvious to everyone that the five-star guys were getting the opportunities that some some of the other guys who, you know, again, how many times have the fans been right? Not very often, but with Dante Allen, they appear to be right with saying he needs to be playing minutes, and uh, they finally got him in. And he, and he succeeded, did, did okay in the Vanderbilt game as well. And I, Cal said in, hid the locker room, and you mentioned on your podcast, he said it, it's on tape, you can see it for yourself. He said, now someone's going to be losing minutes because Dante Allen earned those minutes. And, uh, you know, but I think it's interesting to, to watch that uh, ridicule. It's always a pressure area in Lexington when it comes to basketball, but uh, this year it seems a little heavier <laughs> than what I've noticed in the past. Um, definitely a Absolutely. lot more people criticizing Cal more so than they have uh, um, as a whole, I think, in the past. How much did Kenny Payne matter to this program? You know, it's interesting, you know, because Kentucky fans and and really even media members who were there every single day brought this up right away when he did, when he made the decision to go ahead and leave. Um, and I, I, I don't know that I, I guess I would probably put it best by saying I don't think I necessarily had a really strong opinion on it. Um, And I do think it works both ways where I can see on the one hand him just being the good cop. You know, the one thing that I think I was critical of that, that I don't really know that anybody else picked up on. I watched a lot of those games early and when the team was struggling, I didn't see a lot of coaching from those other guys. And I understand that, you know, Jay Lucas is new. I understand that Bruiser Flynn is new. I understand that Tony Barbie's in a new role, but when you have the highest paid by my estimation staff in America, 
you need some coaching on the sideline. And, and that's not even Calipari's fault. If somebody needs to take these kids aside and say, this is this, this is that, whatever. Um, but I do think not having the, the good cop to Calipari's bad cop is there. I don't know that it's hurt necessarily in recruiting. Um, I, so it, for, for me, it's hard to know. I wasn't in the building every day. I don't cover the team every day like you guys where I'm talking to players every day. Now I certainly know players and families and AAU people that have been involved with the program for years. I would say it's a lot, but I would say at times it's maybe a little bit overblown. And when a team struggles the way that Kentucky did to start the year, I think everybody's looking at straws to grasp at. And I think that was an easy one that, again, was maybe a little bit overblown. Something you talked about on one of your recent podcast episodes was conference tournaments. Um, what's the possibility of us not having a conference tournament this year? And with that, how does Kentucky make the tournament um, if there is no conference tournament? Well, and I think that's a huge X factor, right? If, if you're a Kentucky fan, um, but banking on going to Nashville and winning three or four games, that possibility might not be there. You know, the way that I'm kind of viewing conference tournaments at this particular moment always subject to change day by day, uh, we're recording here January 7th, is I look at them almost like bowl games where some of them went off and it felt pretty normal and there were people in the stands and all that stuff. Some of them got canceled altogether. Some of them were scheduled to be played and weren't. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of conferences are going to have some tough questions to ask when it comes to that circumstance. Um, you know, I think for, um, you know, the major conferences – um, if it's an opportunity to get another team or two in the tournament, maybe they take advantage of it. Um, but you have to weigh the risk reward of say the S let's take out the SEC. Cause I think there's a lot of balance, but say, let's take the ACC, right? You, you know, that Pitt, Wake Forest, um, I'm trying to think of the bad teams, Boston, College, those teams aren't going to win a tournament, right? And so yeah. is it worth – first of all, you're probably not going to have fans in the stands. Is it worth flying Boston College to play one game where they might infect Duke and then Duke might be screwed and they, their whole you know NCAA tournament landscape, if Duke's in the picture, they might either not be able to play or they might – and so, you know, it's going to be a constant balancing act, I think – you know, some conferences are going to say, like I said, it's a chance, you know, the Big Ten, we've got nine teams locked in, but we think we can get to 11. And if Penn State can pick up two more wins, they might get in, um, you know, a one bid league that, you know, maybe they just say, look, this is our best chance to get our best team in. Does a conference like, say, Conference USA or, or, or the WCC with Gonzaga say this might be a chance for us to get a second or third team in? So. I'm not ready to rule out that they will not happen, and I'm certainly not ready to wrap my head around the possibility that they're going to happen in the way that we know them. Um, but I would lean it more towards there's fewer of them than normal. Maybe they start earlier than normal. Maybe the format is different where, you know, the ACC doesn't bring all 15 teams. Maybe they bring the top 12 or the top eight or whatever. Um, I, I it, Listen, one thing we've learned in sports this year Everything can change. At the, we might we might move back the national championship game in college football for Pete's sake. So you know if we're talking about moving back NFL playoff games and college football national championship games, I think the idea of the ACC tournament or the Pac-12 tournament looking different than normal uh, is probably not all that surprising to most people that have followed sports the last twelve months or so. 
The uh, Wildcats, of course, in the SEC conference, the SEC basketball has gotten better. I think uh, coaching staffs have gotten way better over the last five years or so. Um, what is the teams right now? It seems like Tennessee and Alabama, uh, Florida as well, and the SEC. What teams are the most dangerous teams in the SEC this year? I think you nailed them. Um, you know, the first one that comes to mind is Alabama. And, and, you know, I've said this a million times. So for anybody who's heard me on any other platform, I've talked about this. But, you know, Nate Oates, uh, the Alabama head coach, after the out-of-conference portion of, sl- of, of the, ter- of the uh, season, they were 6-3. and three. They basically had no impressive wins. And something was going on in that locker room. And Nate Oates suspended two guys that were starters, John Petty and James Rojas. And whatever the reason was, they came back, and Alabama's 3-0 and since then. They've looked awesome. Uh, <clears throat> they won at Thompson Bowling Arena. They look really good. Tennessee, I think, has actually played pretty poorly the last two games. But I, I do think that um, they're going to be there. Florida, I've been critical of Mike White, but I think he's got them playing pretty well. Um, and you go on and on down the list, I think LSU is a challenge. Um, and I would flip it, too. You know, I, And it goes back to what we kind of started with with Kentucky of – there's no off nights in this league. Like you said, the coaching is so good where, you know, I don't think Ole Miss is a great team, but you let them play the knock them down, drag them out game that they want to play in the 50s where they can get up in you, they're going to beat you. Texas A&M is going to get better. They, you know, Buzz Williams, people forget, was the SEC coach of the year last year. They're going to get better throughout the season. Um, I've mentioned all the, the top, top, top teams. So to me, it's just – it's it's interesting – where we're at with this conference, where, like you said, there are no nights off. It's a credit to Kentucky, by the way, to getting to 2-0 and to this point. There's only, I think, two undefeated teams left, uh, uh, Alabama, Kentucky, and South Carolina, who just played their first game. Um, and they might have even lost. I can't remember. But the point I'm trying to make, there's a lot of good teams that can beat you if you don't come up. So it's a, it's a testament to Kentucky that they have gone 2-0 and so far. But it's also the reality of – if you don't show up every night, you can lose just about any game on this schedule. You really can. I grew up in Middle Tennessee in Murfreesboro, and for the longest time, I had no idea Tennessee had a men's basketball team. Uh, wow! I knew about the Lady Vols. Didn't know. Sure. About, I didn't know about the guys, and so I grew up a Kentucky fan because my dad hated Vanderbilt, so I couldn't cheer <laughs> for them. So uh, that's what I grew up a Kentucky fan. And now to see that Tennessee is one of the top teams in the nation. Is just blows my mind to see where they've come, where they're going. And they've done it, it seems like, primarily with those, you know, not top-tier recruits necessarily, not bad players, but uh, they've been able to bring them in to, to work with them, to grow them, and now they've got them for a couple of years and can do something with them. A testament to them for sure. Uh, I'm a huge Nate Oates fan. My claim to fame is Nate Oates' dad taught one of my Bible classes in college. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Okay. So, I don't know if my brother-in-law played football with him actually in college, but anyways, awesome. um, none of that matters because he won't return any of my messages. So <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the other, t- other basketball teams in the nation. Gonzaga, they sure look for real uh, Baylor. I don't know a whole lot about Baylor. Uh, what about those, those top two teams? Um, do you like, uh, do you see them succeeding going forward? Are they legit championship contenders? So it's wild. I'll tell you about Baylor uh, because somebody asked me about them. First of all, it's crazy in this world that we live in. They're 10 and 0. And I believe only two of their games have been on national TV at this point, which in 2021, now 2021, is just absolutely insane. You know, we all know the deal. They were supposed to play uh, Gonzaga. They were supposed to play Villanova. So many of their games got canceled. They just filled in where they could. 
Um, but I'll tell you this. How about this first stat? Because this blew my mind when I saw it. Baylor, Baylor has played 10 games. They have six players on their roster who have taken at least 23-pointers this season, attempted 23-pointers, which means there are six players who have attempted at least two three-pointers a game. All six players are shooting at least 40% from the three-point line. And so that's what you need to I – just, I just found – I'm not claiming to be some uh, – I, I think I know a lot about college basketball, but I learned that one myself when I looked up some stuff this afternoon. So it's um, – they're, they're special, man. And, you know, they were good enough to win it last year. You know, I, I think everybody, they caught everybody by surprise. But really, they lost one key uh, low post player. And I was wondering, I knew the guards would be good, but would they get enough interior play? And I think they're getting just enough interior play. All the guards are better. This was a team that won 22 games last year, didn't lose a single game in the months of January or December. And I think they're better this year. I think they're better this year. I do think they're the biggest challenger to Gonzaga. Um, I think, you know, as, as people start to kind of wrap their heads around college basketball the next few months, I think three things are going to stand out. I think they're going to see that the Blue Bloods are struggling. Um, maybe Kentucky is getting on the right track, and maybe by the time people look up and, and, you know, the end of the Super Bowl, Kentucky will be, you know, nine and seven, and all of a sudden they'll be in a much better place. But, you know, I don't think Duke's getting any better overnight. They, they barely beat Boston College, and North Carolina has two really close wins in their last two ACC games. Um, so I think one is going to be that I think two, I do think Gonzaga and Baylor have separated themselves from the pack. And I think three, the Gonzaga going into the tournament undefeated talk is real. Um, and I don't know how you feel living in that sec country, but I feel like for the first time, people that are power, you know, fans of power conference teams are bought into the Zags. They saw what Gonzaga did against Iowa, the preseason Big Ten favorite. They saw what they did against Kansas, uh, who's always elite. They saw what they did against Virginia. Um, And I think people are really bought in. So to me, those are going to be the three big storylines with obviously two of them involving Gonzaga, another one Baylor. Um, But but I I do think Gonzaga, Baylor, one, two, and then there's a little bit of a gap after that. Let me ask you about two teams you've talked about on your podcast. Uh, let's start with Texas, Shaka Smart. Um, I've got a friend on the radio here in Lexington. He is not a Shaka Smart fan at all. Uh, likes the Basham a fair amount. Texas looks pretty solid this year, and they've not had a whole lot of respect up, up until this point. Uh, you're, I, I, I didn't know I hosted a radio show in, in Lexington because that sounds like me for the past uh, four or five years. Look, you know, the guy's recruited well, but he hasn't won. And, you know, this is just a, a half-baked theory of mine, but I think there's some merit to it. If there was no pandemic, I don't think he'd be back this year, and I'll tell you why. We saw this weekend with Texas football, their AD kind of operates in, in the shadows, and – you know, he doesn't give you that pink slip until he's got somebody with boxes ready to move into your office. And the fact that it took three weeks for Texas to make a statement that Shaka Smart was coming back in 2021 leads me to believe that they beat around the bushes and they were just having trouble making a hire in the middle of a pandemic last offseason. But credit to him. They bring back a lot of guys. They bring back veterans that have been in the program. And it's a, it's a, it's a constant conversation in college basketball. It's a constant conversation in Kentucky with John Calipari. But those guys have developed in that program. They've taken lumps in that program. Um, and you look ahead to where they are now. Um, you know, this kid named Matt Coleman is their point guard. He's a fourth-year senior. Courtney Ramey's a third-year junior. Andrew Jones, who for people who don't remember, unfortunately, you know, had a bout with leukemia. He's recovered. He's playing. 
He's a fourth year junior. You know, those are the, he might even be a fifth year senior. I can't even remember, but you know, those are the kinds of guys that you need in your program to have success. And so, you know, they, they started to trend in the right direction late last season. Um, and they're there now. They're there now. Now the, the schedule is going to get tougher, but they just won by 25 at, uh, you know, at, at Allen Fieldhouse. And I do think they're probably the second best team in the Big 12. Now, will they finish there? Will they finish, you know, number four, five, six, seven, eight in the country? I don't know. But, you know, that's a team that, you know, we talk about what the NCAA tournament will look like. What is a final four run when you're playing on neutral courts? Um, and you just have to come out locked in for six games in a row where there's probably not going to be very many fans in the stands outside of your parents. You know, that's a team that, you know, they, they could get hot as a three seed. And, and, you know, if they get the right number one, they could be in a final four. And it's so weird to talk about the final four, knowing what it's going to look like. But, um, you know, it's, it's not the traditional final four run, but that's a team that can absolutely get there. You talked about a team on the podcast that dropped uh, today, Thursday, uh, Michigan. Juwan Howard and the things that he's doing at Michigan kind of going unnoticed under the radar at the moment. Uh, what do you like about Michigan, and is this something that's going to be consistent moving forward for Juwan Howard? Yeah, they're one um, – I think they're a real microcosm of college basketball this year where I think college basketball has been hurt a little bit by the start-stop nature. You don't know who's playing when. The Maui Invitational isn't in Maui, so the casual fan, it's hard to wrap your head around the Maui Invitational in North Carolina in an empty gym. And Michigan, I think, is a microcosm of it. You know, they, they had to play Christmas Eve – or Christmas Day, excuse me, New Year's Eve – um, you know, they didn't play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge because it was canceled because of COVID. And all of a sudden you look up and they're 10-0 and 5-0 and and in the Big Ten. Now, they haven't played those other elite Big Ten teams, Wisconsin, Iowa, even Rutgers, Illinois. Um, but I think they're really, really, really good. And what's interesting about them is two things. One, in this era where we know about all these freshmen, they have a freshman big guy named Hunter Dickinson who's been awesome. But two, you know, I give Juwan Howard a ton of credit because you look at college basketball this year, most of the programs that are having a ton of success, Iowa, Illinois, Rutgers, Baylor, Gonzaga, um, Texas, Kansas, it's a lot of teams that return a lot of players from last year. Michigan returns some, but they have a couple grad transfers, they have a couple freshmen, and they do have a couple returnees, but they lost two of the most important players and at least one in program history, Xavier Simpson, who was one of the best point guards in college basketball last year. So I give him so much credit. It's early. They haven't played the bulk of their – the meat of their schedule in terms of the toughest games in the Big Ten. But that's a team. That's another one. They just do what they do. They play great defense. They rebound the ball. What I've noticed more than anything this year, I just really like the teams that don't beat themselves. Wisconsin, Tennessee, and maybe it's because I have to watch every Kentucky game as part of my coverage with KSR is, you know, you watch enough Kentucky games where they dribble it off their foot and they jack up a three with, you know, two seconds left on the shot clock. You know, you appreciate the teams like Wisconsin, like uh, Michigan, that that just do the things you're supposed to, take care of the basketball, don't turn it over, hit open jump shots. Um, and I think Kentucky's getting there, so that was a little bit of a cheap shot at Kentucky. But that kind of stuff stands out, and Michigan's one of those teams, veteran team that doesn't beat themselves. One more thing for you. How is the uh, name and likeness going to affect recruiting and the parity of college basketball? I don't think parity is as big of a deal. I think the transfer portal is going to be a huge factor, though. 
you know, we saw a second uh, McDonald's All-American, uh, one from Oscar Shibway, who Kentucky fans know well, but then Damari Burnett, who was a McDonald's All-American last year, just entered today. Um, and it's funny, I, I first noticed this, you know, Eric Musselman, who's the head coach at Arkansas, uh, when he was at Nevada, he went to a Sweet 16, and they were this great underdog story, and they had a starting lineup that had two guards that began their career at NC State and one that started his career at Purdue. And when you have three guys that are, are, are power five caliber players, I don't know that you're the traditional underdog in the sense that we think of a, a, a 13 seed or a 12 seed. I think they were a 10 seed that year. They're, they're not the way that you think of those teams. And so I think the transfer portal is going to be the great equalizer, not just at that lower and mid-major level, but as a way for the teams like we see in the SEC Arkansas to quickly upgrade their roster, Alabama, a quick way to upgrade their roster, um, you know, uh, uh, Texas A&M, Auburn, whoever, where, you know, you, you, you can get some guys that you might not have been able to get out of high school. And then all of a sudden, if Kentucky's starting four freshmen and you got three upperclassmen and one of them was a McDonald's All-American, you, you know, it, it's a difference. It matters. And so, by the way, I'll give John Calipari credit, too, because I think he finally understands it. I'll tell you, you know, a story that I, I haven't shared on my podcast yet, but I probably will is I reached out to this, uh, you know, I, I mentioned to a staff member at Kentucky about three years ago, a high major transfer that I thought knew wanted to transfer to, back to the SEC, ACC portion of the country. And I thought could help Kentucky. And he just said, Cal doesn't do transfers. And so, and this is a kid that's contributing big time right now. And I won't say the kid's name or what school or even the conference, but just Cal didn't do transfers two, three years ago. And so to see him come full circle, I mentioned Oscar Shibway, Kentucky's going to be in the mix for him. Um, I, I give Calipari credit, but I think it's going to be an equalizer. With the name, image, likeness stuff, I don't know that it's going to matter as much as people think. I think to me, I think it'll impact basket. I think it'll impact football more, excuse me, than basketball. Because basketball, the best players, they still, at the end of the day, as long as the one-and-done rule is in place, they want to come to the place that can get them to the NBA as fast as possible. And that's still going to be Kentucky. That's still going to be Duke. That's still going to be Carolina. And, yeah, you're going to have the outliers like an Anthony Edwards, like a Darius Garland, like a Ben Simmons. But I still think the vast majority are going to go to, again, the UCLA's, Kentucky's, North Carolina's, whomever's. Um, and so I, I don't know that name image likeness is going to have as big of an effect on basketball as it will football. But I do think the transfer portal is an X factor where you use the word parity. And I think we're going to see a lot flatter of a surface in college basketball where you're just not going to have those teams from even six or seven or eight years ago that have that group of upperclassmen and then have the, the, the underclassmen below them that are willing to sit on the bench and learn and buy their time. I just don't know that that's going to be the case going forward. All right. Thank you. This is Aaron Torres. You can find him on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Find him on Instagram at Aaron Torres pod and on YouTube, Aaron Torres and the host of the Aaron Torres podcast. I am a subscriber and a listener. Oh man. Uh, I enjoy How's the, the show going. Is it okay? I was doing so much football and I just feel like there's nothing in basketball to talk about other than Kentucky right now. Still a good <laughs> listen. I'm okay with talking about it. Yeah, no, it's been great. I've enjoyed it. I like the guests you have on, and yes, and uh, and appreciate that. And it's all I, for me. I personally love interviews. I love listening and hearing yes. things from from uh, different angles and different perspectives and things like that. 
And uh, so that's always a good time to listen for sure. I, I will tell you, as we get into the new year, there will be more interviews. I had a few people. How come you don't do any more interviews? Well, nobody wants to do anything extra around the holidays. I'm sorry I couldn't get uh, Chris Beard or John Calipari the day before Christmas. Forgive me, people. But, uh, yeah, man, no, it's it's a fun show. And, and I appreciate support from people like you, man, because, you know, I work really – we all work hard. I'm not saying I work hard because I want to pat on the back, but I love doing what I do. And I just want to say I couldn't do it without the support of people like you, Vince. So thank you. Thank you for giving me your platform to kind of share some of what I do. And who knows, hopefully a couple, you know, we, we trade, you know, hopefully a couple people find out about me through you. Hopefully a couple people find out about you through me, whatever. But I appreciate your support. I really do. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you didn't have to do it, so I sure appreciate that as well and your kindness today and all the input that you had also. All right, Vince, thank you. Thank you for tuning into today's Sports Stove podcast. A big thank you to Aaron Torres for joining us on the show today. You can follow us on Twitter at Sports Stove. You can find us on YouTube, the Sports Stove podcast, on Instagram, the Sports Stove Pod. Thank you for following, for listening. Uh, feel free to share this episode if you enjoyed it. And as well, subscribe. And a lot of big things coming in the days ahead. Don't forget, next week we'll be joined by MMA fighter Harry Hurricane Hunsucker. It's going to be a great podcast, so make sure you tune in. That will drop next uh, Friday night, I believe. We might have one more before then talking about uh, the NFL playoffs and other things going on as well. But for sure, we'll have another podcast coming out next weekend with Harry Hunsucker uh, MMA Fighters. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Until next time, we'll see you around the sports stove. <laughs>